how many of you are enjoying the hour loss of sleep? Anybody enjoying that? <laughs> I, talked to a, um, I talked to a guy this morning who said, hey, yesterday I went to Atlanta and I gained an hour and I came home and I lost an hour and I woke up this morning or I, I, I lost an hour, I gained it and this morning I lost it again. I thought, you know, that, that hour is hard to put your hands on, isn't it? How many of you know, though, uh, if you're part of the 9 a.m. service at Kingwood when time changes, you really love Jesus. Come on. Come on, somebody tell me you really love Jesus, right? Well, we, all those slackers in second service, we'll just let them, let them believe they love Jesus as much as you do, but we know they don't. So I'm glad you're here. We're continuing our series we started last week called I Am. And I was reminded of a story that comes uh, straight from our own missions experience. Many of you know that one of the ways that we've also um, trying to help impact the world is through our partnership in Honduras. We have, we have uh, developed a long-term partnership in Honduras. So there's an orphanage there and a men Teens Challenge Center, dental clinic, medical clinic, school, incredible church. And there's, there's a great work God's doing in Honduras. And so we've partnered with them. They have a 120-acre campus. Um, campus is, is a nice way to describe it. It's just deserty dirt, you know, out there in the middle of nothing, and that's where the orphanage is and all that. So uh, a few years ago, uh, we took a team, our first team to go in. I had the privilege of being on that team, and we were there, and um, we just landed, and you know, about two hours before dark, and we kind of got settled in and went over to the uh, cafeteria, the little dining hall to eat dinner, and uh, uh, maybe some of you who are on this trip will remember this. And so uh, we finished dinner, and the campus is 120 acres. I don't know how many of you ever you know, know how to calculate that. That's a pretty good distance. But we would uh, drive from where we stay, where we sleep at night. We would drive over to the cafeteria and the work site, and then we'd drive back you know, over there. They'd take us because it's so far. And so there's this little kind of flatbed truck. You'd all pile in, you know, and... And uh, so I, I, this, there's no way this story's going to be as funny to you as it is to me, but it, it is outrageous to me. Hey, g- give me uh, like laughter like you, like you slept for an hour more, you know what I mean? But so, so uh, I, the whole thing's over, dinner's over, it's dark, and it's time for us to go back to the, where we're going to sleep. And uh, I'm there. Those, some, some of you have taken several teams to Honduras now. Some of you know this whole routine. You ride back and forth every day. And so it's time to go back, and the missionary said, hey, uh, you know, should we bring the truck back down? Because um, aren't there more teams? I said, no, no, I, I can't find them. I, you know, I think, they've, I think they're already gone. We, you know, we don't need the truck. And so uh, the missionary and a couple ride me in their nice little air-conditioned, clean car back to the room. Well, I get back to the room that night, and I walk in. <laughs> and there's this um, sweaty, dirty group of guys, and my son was there, and both my sons were there, and uh, you know, it's this little group of guys, and they're all dirty. And I said, what are you, where have you guys been? What happened to you? And, and this is the story they told me. They said, well, we were at the, um, at the cafeteria, and we got tired of waiting on the truck to come back. And so we decided we'd just walk back. It's not that far. I mean, you need to ride back and forth. I mean, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? We're just going to walk back. Oh, you got to understand. You're not in the city. You're out in the country in Honduras. There's nothing out there but rocks and dirt and nothing. And there's no telephone poles. There's no street lights. There's 120 acres of vastness. You don't know where you're going. And they decided they're just going to walk back 
And so they walk back, except like halfway between, there's this little gate, right? And you'd pull up in the car, and you'd honk, and the guy would come and open the gate, and you'd pull through, and he'd shut it. Nobody knew what the gate was for. It's just that's what the routine. We didn't think about it. And so that night, these guys are walking back to the room. Uh, an unnamed leader, I, I won't, you know, won't tell you who that is, uh, decided this would be a good idea. And they're walking back, and they're following the road. I don't know if you've ever walked in desert. It all looks like dirt road, right? So they're walking on it, and they get halfway there, and they get to the gate, and they can't get through it, so they decide they're going to have to unlatch it and open it. And all of a sudden, when they go to open the gate, they hear these people yelling at them in Spanish out in the darkness. Ah, ah, they're starting to look around. And all of a sudden, they hear this stampede of wild horses coming directly at them. And they're thinking, what, 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 what? You ever had that moment? Like, you know, what do we do? There's nowhere to go. All you can do is hear them. You can't see them because it's dark and there's no lights. So they got their cell phones holding them up. Like, like what, which way do we go? What do we do? We're going to die. And these horses are just rushing at them 100 miles an hour. And these guys are yelling in the background. And they don't know what to do. They don't know why they're coming. It's a stampede. And so they're jumping every direction, one fence, the other. They're jumping over, you know, hiding behind, crouching. And this massive stampede was just and just rolls right through. And here they are thinking, I think I'm going to die. And what, what happened is those horses are so used to hearing the clanging of that gate, when they hear it, they're gone. That's where food is. How many of you have been around on a farm? Right? You know how this works, right? So they just blazing through there. The only thing is the gate wasn't supposed to be open, and those horses weren't supposed to be let out at night. So those guys, out of panic, opened that gate, shot through it every direction they could like wild cats, and those horses blazed out in the field. And all I can remember them saying to me is, I don't know what the guys were yelling out in the field. It was in Spanish. But it's words I've never heard. Something like loco and guardo norteamericano and, you know, crazy things like gringo. We are crazy words. They're, throwing. they're yelling and yelling and yelling. So fortunately, they let us stay. I get back to the room that night, and I walk in. They're all tired and sweaty. They done fallen on the ground, dirty. So what happened to you guys? They said, how did you get here? I said, I rode with a missionary. He said, where was the truck? I said, oh, I told him not to send it. I thought you guys had already gone. <laughs> but one thing we did, and we got to stay, fortunately. They didn't hold up. One thing we did learn that night, though, is uh, gates, like a gate, really matters. It really does something important. We learned it the hard way. And as it turns out, gates are pretty important in our, our society today, too, here in America. There's gates at sports stadiums and gated communities and gates at airports and gates at ranches. And how, how many of you have some kind of gate on your property or, or in, your, in your neighborhood? Yes, gated community or, or whatever a gate. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the gate. Now, last week we started this series that we've just called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. So I've been encouraging you starting last week and today and for the next few weeks, I'm encouraging you to, to um, take Jesus at His own words, to shut out all the other voices, 
about who Jesus is, and even to take, take maybe a, just a little mental break from your own thoughts about who Jesus is. And let's just for a few weeks look at what Jesus said about himself. Here's why that matters. When we get a clear picture of Jesus, we get a clear picture of who God wants us to be. See, God, in his grace and love, wants us to be like Jesus. And so when we, it's very important that we get a clear picture of Jesus because if we don't have a clear picture of Jesus, if we don't really know who he is, who he was, we're going to be very confused about a lot of what the Bible says, about a lot of what God is trying to do in our life. But if we get a clear picture of who Jesus is, then a lot of that starts to make sense. So um, God is working to try to make him like Jesus. Now, Jesus gave us a crystal clear picture of who he was. Seven times he said, I am something. They would follow it with something. I am. And so last week we, we took communion together. And I, if you were here, it was just a beautiful time together. And we, and we looked at the phrase where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So every week we're going to take one of these seven up until Easter, and we're going to look today, we're going to talk about how Jesus said, I am the gate. Now the people who lived during Jesus' time were mostly farmers or, or had a direct relationship with agriculture. They were agrarian people, and so um, they knew a lot about livestock, and they knew a lot about uh, crops and farming. And so it doesn't make exact sense to us today when we hear something like Jesus saying, I am the gate. Because we don't, we don't relate to that world like those people did. Maybe today if Jesus were here, he would say something like, I am the firewall to the internet. <laughs> or maybe he would say, uh, you know, I am the passcode that gets you into life. Now, we don't know very much about the world they lived in, so we need to know just a little bit about livestock and crops to understand. John chapter 10, verse 7, uh, Jesus tells... Uh, the people around him, uh, this is where he says to them, I'm the gate. Therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, we'll talk about that, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, here it is again. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, there's two kind of um, sheep pens that uh, would have come to mind for the people who were listening to what Jesus said. Uh, I'll just call it a city pen and a country pen, okay? A city pen and a country pen. Now, we're going to talk about the city pen first, how that would work. Typically, a sheep uh, pen in the city would be built out of rocks, like a rock wall. It would have one entrance and one entrance only, and it would have a gate over it. And that, that's how it worked. That's, there was only one way in and one way out. Now, sheep would spend their lives moving in and out of that gateway. They came through the gate for rest and security. They would go out in the pasture and eat and all that, and then they would come back. And inside, they were free in the city from thieves, people who would want to who would want to steal one of them for their own gain? So let me give you three ways this morning that Jesus is like a gate. We might think about Jesus is like a strong mountain, or Jesus is the comforter, or Jesus, but, but how is Jesus like a gate? Number one, a gate provides peace. 
So this phrase in verse 9, they will come in and go out and find pasture, that's a Jewish way of saying they will have peace. That's a Jewish way of saying they will have peace. Like the freedom that people experience in a country when the country's not at war. When a country's at peace uh, uh, and not at war, people are free to come and go and mingle around and they're not threatened by an enemy who's coming in. They can come and go without fear. Psalm 121 verse 8 picks up on the same idea. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. It doesn't mean that nothing will go wrong. It means that even when things go wrong, you can live without fear and worry. I was reminded of that so vividly yesterday. I ran into a lady that's a part of our church. Uh, may, you may have heard of her. You may not. Many of you won't know her name. Marlene Craft. Marlene Craft uh, is an incredible lady. Uh, and has gone through quite a bit of things in her life. Several years ago, she and her family were pastoring. She and her husband were pastoring in Selma, Alabama. And her husband unexpectedly had a heart attack and died and went to heaven. And it left her uh, sort of right in the middle of life wondering, what am I going to do now? And so through the last few years, Marlene and her two boys moved here. And uh, they, had a, they had some support here. And so they came and, you know, Marlene had to figure out, what am I going to do now? Now that my husband's gone, I'm not a pastor's wife. I've lost that identity. I've lost that role. What's my life going to be like now? And so Marlene felt such a, such a burden and a call. Like we talked about with you guys this morning, sometimes a zigzag ends up being a straight line. And so Marlene now is the first a fully appointed missionary in our fellowship whose focus is on widows. So she's appointed to work with widows uh, all over America. And actually yesterday when we were here, uh, I, we had a funeral yesterday, I bumped into her in Cafe Mundo. She was setting up for some uh, ladies she was ministering to then. So uh, a few weeks ago, she got some really bad news. Uh, the doctor said, we're suspecting leukemia. So would you come in for some more testing? They've done that testing. And they say, you have leukemia, but we don't know which form yet. In two days, Tuesday, she goes back to the doctor to find out. So I'm talking to uh, Marlene, and I said, Marlene, I'm so sorry about the news you've gotten. And uh, we've just been praying for you. And let me tell you what she told me. She said, I want to tell you something, though. She said, I've got peace. And, and I've got peace because God's given me peace. She said, and you know what I can't believe? I can't believe that God has now given me two platforms to speak from. I could speak to widows because I was one. And she said just, I think she said yesterday or earlier this week, I had the opportunity to speak to people who were struggling with cancer because I, that door opened for me. She said, I can't believe God would give me these two platforms and these opportunities. She said, but I did have a question. How many of you know... We always have a question, right? When you suffer, you have questions. Actually, when you suffer, you have better questions. But that's when you find out the better answers. She said, I was praying about this, and I said, Jesus, I know that your word says that you've been through everything we've been through. You know, right? The Bible says he's been tempted in every way that we have. But she said, but one thing I don't see in the Bible, I don't understand. When did you deal with disease? You never had cancer. You never got sick. 
How do I know that you've been through everything that I've been through when, when you, never, you never got sick? And so she's praying about that. And she felt like the Lord just asked her, Marlene, what is it about this that makes you afraid? She said, well, I'm afraid about the future. She said, I'm afraid about the pain. And she said, I'm afraid about how this is going to work out. And then she said, as she was praying, the Lord just impressed on her heart. Those are the things that I went through when I went to the cross. I didn't know, I didn't want to hurt the way I hurt. The pain was intimidating. I didn't want to go through those things. Do you remember when Jesus prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, right before he went to the cross, he prayed, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. Take this away from me. I said, Marlene, I've, I've been through those things. And she said this wonderful sense of incredible peace filled her life. And so here's what the good news is this morning. It doesn't mean that every bad thing is going to be taken away when Jesus is the gate or you go through the gate or you follow him or you accept him. It means that no matter what happens to you, you can live in peace. It doesn't mean that Marlene doesn't have moments. We all have moments. We all have moments where anxiety will hit us or fear will hit us or worry will hit us. We all have those moments where we go, no. But when I looked into Marlene's eyes yesterday, I can tell you, I looked into the eyes of a woman who is confident who knows her, who her Savior is, who knows who her Lord is, who knows whose life she's in. She may have moments of fear, but I can tell you this, I did not look into the eyes of a woman who's living in fear. She's not dominated by fear. She's not controlled by fear. She's not panicking. And so if you think about Marlene, pray for her. The good news is God's not going to run out of peace. <laughs> it's not like you go get some peace and then you, you wore him out. He's got unlimited and so when you have peace and then something scary happens and that peace goes away, you can go back and get more. The peace store's open. And it's free. You can go back again and again and again. And God has unlimited peace for you. So Jesus is like a gate in that a gate is a place of peace. Here's the second one. A gate invites us to make a decision. You know what I learned about gates is gates change things. There's the inside and there's the outside. Right? There's this side and the other side. There's behind the gate and out here in front of the gate. Will you go inside or will you stay outside? Jesus said, I'm the gate, but the gate to what? Verse 10 tells us, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. On the outside of the gate, there's stealing and killing and destruction. On the inside of the gate, there's abundant life. There's full life. There's total joy and peace and life. And so Jesus is saying he's the gate to those things. Now, our world tells us that all religions are equal and there are many paths to God and truth and heaven. Maybe you've seen this uh, picture before that just says coexist. Can you read that? Coexist. It is the symbol of a lot of major religions in the world. And the idea is that all religions are the same. All religions are, are equal. All religions, all the truths of each religion are equally true. Now, I do believe that there's some truth, and I do believe that there's some wisdom, and I do believe that there's some insight in almost every religion, but there's only one gate. There's only one gate, and that's what Jesus was saying. It's impossible for all religions to be right at their, because at their core, all religions are exclusive. 
If reincarnation is right, then heaven's not. If salvation is through sincerity and being a good person, then grace is wrong. If the Koran is God's word, then the Bible isn't. If Buddha told the truth, then Jesus didn't. Jesus said, now remember, remember the lens we're looking through. We're not looking through your opinion or my opinion or the debate in the world or YouTube videos or, or what the local uh, uh, agnostic is saying or anything else. We're looking through one lens. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, I, he didn't say I'm a gate. He said, I am the gate. And it ultimately comes down to this, either I'm going to trust Jesus' view of eternity or I'm going to trust mine. It comes down to that decision for each one of us. Now, this exclusive claim that Jesus made really bothers us. I don't know if you can feel that in the room or if you can feel that in our society, but this exclusive claim that Jesus made bothers us because every example of exclusivity that we can think of is all negative. Rich people exclude poor people. One race of people will exclude another race of people. Famous people exclude common people. Attractive people exclude average people. People that are in the in exclude people that are on the out. Intelligent people and athletic people and powerful people exclude. If I can't lift myself up any higher, the only way I can think to get higher is to put you down lower. And that way I'll look better. So see, see how negative all of these are selfish and arrogant and evil. And that throws us off about Jesus because how can he be exclusive and not be any of those other things? How can someone who gave miracles away for free, how can someone who loved people openly, how can someone who accepted everyone on earth that he ever encountered from every walk of life at the same time be exclusive? Here's how. Jesus is not exclusive in who can find God. Anybody can find God. Anybody can live in freedom. Anybody can live in peace. He's not exclusive on who. He's exclusive on how. There's only one gate. Anybody can go through it. There is no prerequisite. There is no right race. There is no right amount of money. There is no right background. There is no right nothing. Everybody's the right person to go through. The exclusivity is not on the, the who, it's on the how. They must come through the gate. Yesterday, we had a funeral here at Kingwood for Zodi McCall. Some of you may remember him. He was an usher for a lot of years here at Kingwood. He was the first uh, black police officer in the city of Helena. And it was quite a celebration yesterday here, here in our church. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Clark, one of our pastors, gave one of the most stirring messages on this thought, exactly as I'm sharing, that I've ever heard. And so, Clark, I stole it. Uh, and I wanted, to, I wanted to just repeat what he said yesterday. Clark said, the question is not, do you know about Jesus? The question is, do you really know him? And here's the questions he asked. Is your relationship with Jesus the most important relationship in life? Is he your source of strength in the storms of life? Is he the one to whom you credit your successes? Is he the one to whom your worship is directed? 
Is he the object of your gratitude? Is he the Lord of your checkbook, your calendar, your thought life, your tongue, and your emotions? Is Jesus really your Savior and Lord? Jesus said, I am the gate. I came to give you full life. Do you have full life? Are you fully alive today? That's what the gate's for. This is a gate of decision. And it is a gate where we have to decide which side of it we're going to be on. Now this gate sometimes causes pain. My dad has never been a Christian. My whole life, when I was 15, I accepted Christ. And I followed him my whole, all since then. And my dad's never been a believer. And, and there are times of tension. As I begin to follow God, my dad and I's paths just we just took different paths. I love him and he loves me, but I went through the gate and he didn't. And through those years, it caused tension at times. And I can't tell you the number of times I've prayed with people who are experiencing some level of tension or outright rejection because maybe um, it's a teenager whose parents won't, won't go through the gate. Or it's a, spouse, a wife or husband whose spouse won't go through the gate. Or it's parents whose children hadn't gone through the gate and they have a friends who drift apart. This gate is a gate of decision that impacts all of us. Which side of it are you on? It does make a difference. Now here's the last thought. A gate is a place of care. Verse 8 says, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. So there was these people who wanted to sneak in. And they didn't want to come through the gate. Because they were up to no good. And they wanted to sneak in and they wanted to steal the sheep. And, and they wanted to run away. Now, th this verse doesn't say they're not murderers. They don't want to hurt the sheep. They're not murderers. They're thieves. There's a difference in a murderer and thief. They want to steal something. They don't want to hurt the sheep. Because if they hurt the sheep, they can't sell them. They can't profit from them. They wanted to use the sheep for selfish gain. Have you ever known anybody like that? They're not trying to hurt you, but they don't really care about you. They're just close to you because of what they can get. So most of us know what it's like to have somebody who wanted to be around us just in the hopes that we'd give them something. They don't care about you. They're hoping you'll give them money or give them some material thing. Or people who only reach out to us when they're in crisis. Like the only time you see them is when they're in crisis. Otherwise, you never hear from them. Or people who hold some position of notoriety. And they can tell all of us. When you hold a position of some kind of notoriety, you have people who seek them out. Who don't care anything about them, but want to be around them because of their popularity. I don't care what happens to you. I just want a picture with you. See what I got a picture with? Click, click. Get a selfie, I got a ussy. Some of, the, some of the most popular people in the world are the most lonely because they don't know who they can trust to care about them. And then sometimes I think of people who um, approach churches that way. You know, they wonder what they can get out of it. They don't care about the sheep. My, my email account and my mailbox is full year-round with people who have the very next thing that our church needs. They don't, you say, well, what about the sheep? <laughs> On a weekly basis, sometimes daily, people ask, 
Hey, can we use the, we need to use the gym. We want to use the ball field. We want to use this room. We want to use the property for something. You say, what about the sheep? And, and if I'm just going to go all the way and be honest today, sometimes churches think that way about people too. Everybody knows somebody who was used in some way, mistreated in some way by a church somewhere, used for some end, but wasn't really cared about by those people. But see, this is exactly what it means that Jesus is the gate. He isn't like any of those examples because a gate is a place of care. Here's how this used to work. This is where the country gate comes in, not the city. The country sheep pen was different than the city. It was just a, some little stick walls. And where there was a um, gate, there was actually nothing. It wasn't made of rock. It was an open doorway. So when it was time for the shepherd to put the sheep uh, to bed at night, the shepherd would stand at the, at the gate opening, the doorway, and he would personally inspect every sheep as the sheep went in. Individually, personally, each one. And he was looking for two things. He was either looking for parasites, which would give the sheep disease, and make, the sheep, make it impossible for the sheep to sleep that night. So he wanted to get all those things off the sheep so they wouldn't itch and be awake all night. And he was looking for wounds. So he would put anointing oil on the wound. He would wrap up, bind up a wound, and he would put the sheep in the pen at night. And so that's the kind of care that the shepherd gave the sheep. Once all the sheep were inspected, once they were all counted, and he knew that they were all there, the question became, how can you keep the sheep uh, in the pen, and how can you keep wild animals out of the pen, because we have no gate? Now, this is, this is the picture Jesus was drawing off of. So what the shepherd would do is lie down in the doorway, and he physically acted as the gate. So the shepherd would lie there all night and basically say, if a wild animal is going to come in and get one of these sheep, he's going to have to come through me. And the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. So it looks something like this. You can kind of get an idea. Here's the shepherd laying in, laying in the doorway. So Jesus, when he said, I am the gate, here's what he's saying. I really, 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 really care about you. I care about you enough to take care of you individually, to know your name, to know the numbers of hair on your head, to inspect you, to protect you, to care for you, to bind up your wounds, to heal your wounds. I care enough about you to do all that. You know, when you and I can't sleep, how many of you have ever been told you ought to count sheep? How many of you ever, how many of you ever heard that? Yes, count sheep when you can't sleep? You ever thought about what sheep count? Shepherds. Sheep count, sheep count shepherds. Because the shepherd was the gate. And when you and I focus on the shepherd, the gate, it brings great peace. And it brings great care in our life. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I, I'm, I'm so amazed at how God sets little divine appointments. This is a, this is a great day for us to look at how Jesus is the gate because this has been a really, really hard week for a lot of people. And we lost an hour's sleep. Which, how many of you know, makes everything worse. Magnifies everything. I thought about Marlene, whose story I shared. 
Do you know in the last week or so, we've had five deaths directly or nearly directly related to our church? Paul Niven, if you know him, you won't know everybody I name. Paul Niven's stepfather passed away. Bradley Charlie, who was one of our uh, Master's Commission students. How many of you MCs? Remember, MC parents, you remember Bradley Charlie? Just passed away, lived up near the Arctic Circle. They found him in his bed. Not sure exactly what happened. John Reese, uh, Lena, Lizzie, and Joe's uncle passed away. Zodi McCall, who I mentioned, whose funeral we did yesterday. And how many of you know uh, Sandra Gillum? You know the name Sandra Gillum? Sandra passed away just unexpectedly this last week. Wow. Just a, it's just been a long week, been a hard week. And you know, that's the stories I know. There's a lot of stories in this room I don't know. I don't know your story. Some of you may have lost jobs or hurt in different ways, had different tragedies. So this morning, I, I want us to pray. Would you stand with me? And I want to ask our prayer team if you would move into place quickly. And I want to ask every eye to be closed. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? Open your heart. Today, like this is... This is, the, this is what it's about. And just if you can just find a spot, you can be still. Just get comfortable. I'm not going to keep you long, but I, I want to ask. I want to invite you to this gate. I want to invite you to this provision that Jesus has given us, who cares about us more than we can possibly imagine. Maybe today you're in a place where you've received some bad news, or you're battling with stress or fear or worry. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you three or four different thoughts. And when one of them is you, I just want you to lift your hand. Today, maybe you receive bad news or, or you're really, if you're honest, you're really struggling with fear and worry. Maybe you're having trouble sleeping at night. If you need prayer for that today, if you're struggling with nobody looking, would you just lift your hand and say, I need, I need prayer today. I need, I need that gate. I need the shepherd. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you can put it down. Just lift it up and put it right back down. Man, I need God's peace today. I need God's peace today. Would you just be honest enough to say, that's me? I need God's peace. Yeah, thank you. And maybe you're here and you say, you know what? It's time for me to make a decision. I've been struggling with this, but I need to go through that gate. I need to experience that full life. I need forgiveness. I need a real relationship with Jesus. And I don't, I'm wondering if I have one. I don't know. But, I, but you can know. You say today, I need, to t I need to make that decision. I want to make that decision. Would you lift your hand and say, that's me? Would you just pray for me? Would you lift your hand? Just lift your hand up. Thank you so much. I see your hand. Thank you so much. And maybe you're here today and you say, and I, I, this is the group I feel so uh, close to because I experience so much of it. You have tension in your relationship somewhere, somebody close to you, because a family member isn't a Christian and you are. And uh, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a, a friend. But there's tension there, tension. And you say, man, I need, I need God to help me with that because 
man, I didn't, I didn't know this was going to happen. I didn't know this was part of it. But, man, there's tension there. There's, there's disagreement. And, there's, and I just need God to help me. Would you lift your hand and say, that's true in my life. That's true. My spouse, my friend, my, my children, my family. Somebody's not saved close to me. And I, I want to ask God's help today. Would you lift your hand up? Just lift it up real high. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, I know. Me too. My hand's up. <laughs> Me too. And the last thought this morning is maybe you're just at a place where you have a need and you need the care that only Jesus can give. Maybe that's who you are. So here's what I want to do this morning. You lifted your hand. Our prayer team is ready to pray with you. We don't want to embarrass you. You're not signing up for anything. Man, we just want to pray. I can't tell you the McCluey said it. Marlene said it. I'm saying it to you. I can't tell you how many times I've had a point of need in my life, and it was through prayer that things changed. And so today, I want to invite you to prayer. Today, I want to invite you with nobody looking. I want you to step out right now if you lifted your hand, and I want you to come and let one of the prayer team just begin to pray with you. Come on, everywhere in the building, I want you to come now. You lifted your hand, I want you to come now. You need prayer. You need the gate. You need the shepherd. You need his care. You need his love. You need his strength. You need his encouragement. You need his blessing. You need the hope. You need peace. Come on, I want you to come right now. We just want to pray for you. That's all we're going to do is pray for you and let you go home. That's it. We just want to agree with you this morning. We just want to agree with you today. Uh, just, Just for a minute. Come on, worship team. Just begin to lead us. Just for a minute, would you just worship? Would you just worship? Just set your eyes on Jesus. You're my redeemer, my God. If you need to come, we want to pray for you.